Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Wednesday evening Bible studies here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together tonight to study your word and study uh, spiritual warfare as things are ramping up in the in the uh, battle that we're in. Help us to have insight. Help us have wisdom and guidance from you through your scriptures. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, we're uh, dealing with Satan's work in relationship to the Gentile nations. We talked about, uh, I think, last week, the Satan's fall, of the, uh, how he causes the fall of nations. Uh, deceives the nations, and then uh, influences the nation. Did we get the influences of the nations? Okay, so we got all that. Okay, so let's move to the next thing. Satan's work in relationship to Israel, um, which is a big deal. Okay, so we're looking at the different aspects of work against different facets of God's program. We saw the Gentiles, now we're going to move to the nation of Israel. Now, this program is very ancient. It goes all the way back, obviously, I mean, you can trace it to even Cain and Abel, and not so much to Israel, but this line that God is using, um, this remnant line that God continues to use all through time to where he gets to Abraham, and then obviously the 12 tribes come from his grandson, and and then you have basically at that point the birth of Israel as a nation, uh, a small it didn't get past like 70 people by the time uh, Joseph uh, takes them all down into Egypt and protects them. There's about 70 uh, in that point. But from, from that time in Egypt to the time of the Exodus, they go from 70 people to 2 million or a little over 2 million. So it, it's a major explosion of growth. So really what we want to define as is... Um, the start of Israel is the 12 tribes. That's considered Israel. But because of the Abrahamic covenant that runs through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, that makes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a part of the nation of Israel as well. But except in the situation with Abraham, Abraham is both Jew and Gentile. He's both. And that's hence why the covenant starts with him, because the, the Abrahamic covenant is a blessing not only to Israel, but it is a blessing to the Gentiles through the new covenant aspect of the Abrahamic covenant. So hence, the father, uh, the father of the covenant, Abraham, is both Jew and Gentile. Okay, And so that Semitic line starts there. So with that being said, um, Israel is not declared a nation until after the exodus in the wilderness area that they god adopts them as a son and um and so that's why it says out of egypt i called my son it's a double reference to not only israel but also the messiah being called out of egypt okay so here's what you have to understand when we're dealing with israel this can go all the way back to like a cain and abel because what we're dealing with is a line a descendancy line that goes through humanity which will ultimately produce the Messiah, okay? But it doesn't end with the Messiah. 
it continues on through the nation of Israel as well. So then you start seeing the branch off of God having two sets of people. Uh, the Jews, obviously, they're in timeout right now. And then you have the, the line of the Gentiles that have been called out according to Acts 15. So you have two people of God. Do not believe that when someone says there's only one people of God, that is replacement theology. There are two peoples of God, just like Jacob had two wives. Okay, there's always two. Um, there's the bride of the Messiah, the, the church, and then the wife of Jeho uh, wife of Yahweh, which is Israel. So it's both. And so um, one set of people of God are on hold right now. The other set, the Gentiles, are 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 doing the work, but it, that time is ending as well. Okay, that being the case, then once once Satan understood that in Genesis 3.15, that someone's coming from a woman that he went on the hunt for, okay, that he went to destroy this. And the first inkling is the satanic or demonic influence over Cain killing Abel, okay? The thought perhaps satanically, um, and Eve had the same idea, is that she said that she, be, she uh, behold, I I have I have conceived of God man, and in your translations is are wrong. Typically in English, the translation says that uh, you know, behold, the Lord has given me a, a man or a son or something like that. That's not the what it says in Hebrew. It says He has given me a God man. So early on in in Eve's. Uh, understanding, she believes Abel is the God-man. He, she believes Abel is the Messiah. Again, she doesn't have all the factors in the hint of the virgin birth and all that. She's not computing that, but she at least thinks that. Well, it's a good reckoning that that's why Satan attacked Abel through Cain, because if she's thinking that he possibly could, so if he is, I'm going to kill him. And then Cain did kill Abel. So there's a lot of satanic influence in that. Furthermore, uh, the way your Hebrew says when God is talking to Cain before he does the deed, he says, uh, <clears throat> it'll say in your English that sin is crouching at your door, but you must master it. Um, when you take that word and you look at it a little bit differently, and, and you could actually make the case that it doesn't say that sin is crouching at your door, but a demon is crouching at your door or a fallen angel or some type of immaterial being is waiting to take you. And uh, so I, I would say fallen angel would be a better translation. But um, whatever the case, if that's, if, if I, I don't think Cain's anger is just simply from him. I think it's being used to kill a Messiah type of individual or who they think they, it is. Okay, so you go past Cain and Abel. Now, understand, that's a theme, because in Genesis 3, you have the cursing, and you have the promise, but then Genesis 4, right off the bat, Moses puts in the first murder, which is, uh, I, I believe, a messianic type of murder inspired by Satan. So there's a lot of dynamics going on. So the first thing you see out of Genesis in the Bible is this antagonism between this line that God is using and Satan's hatred of it. Okay, so at that point, he doesn't know what to do. Humanity is increasing, and he can't figure out which one 
perhaps of these ladies that will birth the Messiah. So his plan then, at, you can see all the way through Genesis 6, is then to corrupt the DNA of humanity and make sure that the, the, the seed of the woman cannot come because humanity's DNA will be corrupted. And that's what you have the problem in Genesis 6 of the explosion of uh, hybrids and all kinds of weird creatures and things that like like they made, which is now happening in our day and time. It's just it's just that we're doing it now. So so there was an attack on all humanity. So uh, attack and destroy the DNA. So that was a strategy. It did it, 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 it created a situation that brought on the flood. That's how bad things were. So, so you have that going on. Okay, so let's continue on in history. Then history con- continues to roll. And, the, and the, the second major issue then is the Tower of Babel. Okay? And the Tower of Babel um, is seeking to control all humanity. And in that process set up Nimrod as the messianic figure, a false messianic figure, in order to squelch any idea that any from any messiah figure from humanity will be controlled because we'll control the government, we'll control the armies, we'll control everything, which is very similar to what the Antichrist will do in the end. He will try to prevent the return of the messiah. Uh, with his armies. That's why the Battle of Armageddon, they actually turned their weapons upon Jesus to prevent him taking control. So with the Tower of Babel, yeah, it's it's a prefigure, obviously, of the one world government. It, uh, Nimrod's an antichrist. But one of the other things is to suppress any humanity, any person coming out of humanity from rising up and being the Messiah. Okay, that's again going projecting into the future of what Antichrist will do to prevent the Messiah from returning. Um, and Satan believes they actually can do it. He, they actually can believe they believe that they can prevent the, the return of the Messiah, not in this case of suppression, but killing every Jew so that they can't call upon him because he knows that's the precursor for the second coming. So anyway, you go through the Tower of Babel and the suppression starts happening. And and then obviously God confuses the languages and divides up the uh, the nations into seventy nations. According to Deuteronomy thirty two, uh, each nation will be under a prince, and that prince is, is uh, a fallen angel. Um, it, your Bible will say that uh, the nations were divided up in Deuteronomy thirty two according to. Um, Israel, and Israel didn't exist, so it's a mistranslation. Israel didn't exist at that point in the table of nations. Um, These nations went so berserko, God gave them over to what they want, and therefore gave them over to fallen angels who would would, uh, run run their nations. And that's why, in fact, almost, well, yeah, all 70 um, worshipped false gods. So then what God's going to do then is... They're all corrupt, so he has to start a new nation, a brand new nation. He starts it with one guy, Abraham. And that's why the call of Abraham happens is because God's going to create a new nation, and that nation will follow him because the other nations have have went towards uh, obeying and following and worshiping fallen angels at that point. And so once Abraham is identified, 
now Satan knows that there is where the line is. And so there will be attacks upon that line to destroy them constantly. Okay? And so it starts with Abraham, and there's famines that hit the land, and all kinds of weird stuff start happening around Abraham. Okay? And uh, all of it's there to destroy him. Then with even Isaac. Then with Jacob. Jacob's family is, is again, in a famine, almost about to be destroyed. And it, it's not, uh, if it wasn't for Joseph, they wouldn't have survived. So Joseph's whole dynamic saves this line, okay? So Satan knows this is the line. He knows, he targets it. And so at that point, then, you, you reach the Exodus, and, of course, Pharaoh is an anti Christ type, and he tries to destroy Israel, first of all, by uh, making them slaves, killing the babies, the, the baby boys, you kill all the baby boys, you end up like a China situation. You have just one gender, and then you can't. You have a, a major problem in your population. In China's situation, they have all men and no women. In Israel's situation, it would be all females, no males, and guess who would impregnate the males? Females. <laughs> Females. I guess I'm okay in this day and time in wokeism because a male can get pregnant now and have a baby and have menstruation. I said that wrong. Let's go back. So if you eliminate all the male children of the Israelites, then who impregnates the females? The men. And who are the men, though? No, wait, well, I'm in Egypt. I'm in Egypt. The Egyptians. So if you see, the whole idea is, and, and you know the, the whole idea, we'll just breed it out of them. Okay? And so this is where you have uh, genocide. But typically genocide, what they did in, in genocidal activities, they killed all the males, they killed all the men. So you just have females. And then a whole slew of males come in and interbreed with them. That's exactly how most of the tribes lost their identity when the Assyrians took them in captivity. Now, again, there was a lot of the other tribes that escaped to the south, no doubt about that, and that's Judah becomes all of Israel. But um, the, what happens, they killed the Jewish males, and the Assyrians interbreeded with the Jewish women, and you get what's called a Samaritan out of that. Right? And so the idea is, well... If we'll kill the males and then interbreed with them, because now we understand that since he's coming from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the 12 tribes, he must be Jewish. So if I intermix into the Jewishness a Gentile, it'll throw the whole plan out of whack. He's got to be 100% Jewish. And so even in the Exodus, the idea was kill the baby boys. And why didn't they kill the girls? You ever, I mean, you ever think about that? He's not killing the girls because they want to interbreed with them. What happened in Genesis 6? It was a son's banacha Elohim coming on women, daughters of men. Right? It's a one-way exchange. Males are, the men are not involved. The fallen angels are involved. You go into Egypt, kill the males, uh, and let the women be vulnerable to attack. And then that happens, obviously, later on in, in Israel's history with the Assyrians. This is one of the reasons why even as I continue this line, okay? Just continue this line. 
Um, so now that so the the culprit obviously it's going to be in the antagonist towards Satan is Israel, and that's why he's going to aim at her to destroy her. Balaam tries to destroy her. He gets them cursed, but they're not. They can't. He can't curse them, and it continues on down the line. And so when you're you're studying Israel, why they're having so many problems is not only because of the things they're doing, but because of the, the satanic attack against them. So in that case, it's to wipe Israel out. So he gets Satan gets them to sin. You have the Assyrian uh, invasion, then you have the Babylonian invasion. Okay, now Babylon, the Babylonian invasion just did not include just Judah and Benjamin. Like I said, the remnant that saw the Assyrian invasion from the other tribes, the other tribes filtered down into Israel. Or sorry, uh, Judah. And so when the Babylonians came in, yes, they took Judah and Benjamin, but they took all the remnant of the tribes that escaped from the north from Assyria. So at that point, you're dealing with all of Israel. So when those people were interbred in the Assyria, Israel lost that, that population and they are Samaritans, never to be back into the fold of Israel again. But like I said, God protected them, and they, some of the remnant came down and stayed in Judah. Now, that remnant went into Babylon, which we're, we're discussing here in Daniel. Okay, but follow my theme, though. Follow the whole attack. So this attack on, um, on the Jewish remnant in Babylon can be seen with what's going on with Daniel and what's going on with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Okay. Now, there's no doubt God is working in those boys' lives, right? And like I told you how important they are, they are the key for Israel to survive in the Babylonian exile and the key for Israel to look at in the tribulation period. But what happens to those boys when they first get to Babylon? And this is interesting because most people see it from a Babylonian standpoint, but I want you to see it from a satanic standpoint. All four are castrated. Okay. Now, most people see that from a Babylonian standpoint. Okay. Yeah. You're in high officials. They don't want them messing with the harem. So they castrate them so they can just focus and not worry about anything else. But satanically, Satan's taking aim at Daniel and Shadrach and Abednego. So they can't ever breed because in Satan's mind, God's going to use people like Daniel in the line of the Messiah to produce him one day. So he's going to go after those types of individuals. So in the Babylonian exile, that's why Daniel, satanically, and Shadrach, Michigan, and Abednego are attacked by castration. Because you're, you're watching the line. The line is being attacked, right? Whether you attack the females and breed it out of them, or you attack the males and castrate them. Okay, so again, this is where the attack go, goes on. So you, you move in then to um, uh, post-exilic uh, era. Um, they're still having problems uh, with the, the, the squatters in the land, and that takes you all the way into uh, the Gospels. Okay, but what happens at that point is... So if Satan can't physically destroy them at this point, he tries another tactic. 
And the tactic is, and he's always done this, he's either attacking from the outside or he attacks from within. He goes within. And he takes a fear that they have and exacerbates it. And here's the fear that comes after the Babylonian exile. The Babylonian exile created in the Jews that we must never get into this situation again. And therefore, we're going to create a school. And this school is going to maintain our theological purity so that we never get exiled out of the land again. It's called the school of the Sophering. And Ezra, Nehemiah were all involved in this. And again, starts out with great intentions, doesn't it? But then Satan infiltrates into the school. And so what they end up doing is they create a system of, well, here's the 613 laws of God. We'll create a fence around the Torah. And we'll create this fence with other laws that prevent us from even getting close to violating the Torah. And then they would make more fences. And then they would make more fences. And each fence was for the purpose of not violating the 613 laws. It was to keep them as far away from the edge as possible. Okay, You can understand that to some degree, even in your own life. You don't always want to flirt with the edge, right? You want to get as far away from the edge as possible in your personal life. And everyone would agree, okay, so I don't want to get close. Don't, don't try to get to the edge. And that's what they were trying to do, good intentions. But this is how Satan infiltrated through their good intentions. He changed their good intentions to make these fences around the Torah and created in their thought law. So they were creating laws. Not fences, but laws around the Torah and more and more laws. And those laws then became on par with Scripture. And they would call that the oral law. And then you have the given law. And the oral law it started superseding the given law. And so when the, the time you hit Jesus in Jesus' era, that's what he's dealing with is the fences around the Torah and their expectation of when Messiah would come would be that he would come and build more fences around the Torah. He would show us how to build more fences. And so what is, what is Jesus doing to their fences? He's tearing them all down, right? Now, Jesus will always obey God's law, but he'll tear down the, the Pharisaical rabbi, Sophereen laws, and he'll just tear those down and violate man's laws, but not God. But what's happening? Satan has then infiltrated theologically to create such an environment that, that it blinds Israel to the Messiah. They can't see him, at least the religious leaders. Anyone that was trained in religion uh, in rabbinic schools at that day are completely blinded by that. And so Satan has blinded the Jews through Judaism. Even to this day, they can't see it if they follow Judaism. A secular Jew has more of a chance of understanding who Jesus is than a Hasidic or uh, you know one of these ultra-Orthodox guys who are steeped in Torah fences and can't see anything past that. So that's one of the reasons Israel is blind today and one of the reasons why they rejected their Messiah. Because in the Satanic worldview... If Israel accepts their Messiah, that means Jesus will bring the kingdom. 
And guess what? In Satan's mind, he accomplished his goal in the first coming because they didn't accept him. And so he th therefore thus couldn't usher in. Now, one of the things that Satan didn't know is the mysteries. And so there's eight mysteries, uh, good, good mysteries, and there's two negative mysteries in the New Testament. And all that means is this, that mysteries are revealed in the New Testament that wasn't revealed in the Old. And that is because of satanic interference. Those things were not talked about so that God could spring that on him at the right time and Satan couldn't have a counter to it. It didn't give Satan enough time. So there, the eight mysteries is, number one, the first mystery is the church, the body of Christ. It was a mystery. It was not talked about. This inner Advent era that we're in called the church age is a mystery. It's called the mystery kingdom. It wasn't talked about in the Old Testament. Um, the mystery of the rapture was not discussed in the Old Testament. Um, and those kinds of mysteries. The two satanic mysteries are the mystery of lawlessness and the mystery that the Babylonian whore will ride the beast. That's, that's the satanic mysteries that will be destroyed, um, by the second coming. Okay. So, so, understanding that this information was held back from believers until the right time, Satan thought he had won by killing the Messiah, but he actually lost. So as, as the events unfold, he, he resurrects, but then the mysteries start becoming revealed about what's going to happen and what's required of the kingdom to come. And he heard Messiah say, you shall not see me again till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay. So, he also saw that they had until 70 AD. So, Satan's watching this, and the nation doesn't repent. Now, individuals repent and come to faith, but the nation doesn't. So, he knows that the nation will, will be destroyed and scattered. Okay. So Satan is watching this. He knows what's going to happen. It happens. And then the Jews are dispersed all over the nations for the last 2,000 years. Now, here's the interesting thing. Because of that dispersion, Satan then goes on the warpath on where the Jews are located in every place in the world. And persecution happens to them no matter where they're at in the world. So they can be in Europe, they can be in Africa, they can be wherever in the Middle East, and eventually persecution will come to destroy them. And that's what happens. And so here's what I want you to understand for us. The last two places on planet Earth that were safe for the Jews was Western Europe and America. Okay, In fact, that's where the majority of Jews were at, Western Europe and America. Now that Western Europe is, is plummeting to nothing. Because why? Persecution. And so the last place in America, persecution will happen to the Jews here, like you have never seen before. Because this is the last bastion. We have half of Israel's population here in America. And it's primarily two places, San Francisco, L.A., and New York. That's it. So what I'm getting ready to tell you and what you must understand is the satanic persecution is going to come upon the Jews in America at some point in time, 
pretty heavy. And as you can see, last year was the highest anti-Semitism we've ever seen in American history. Okay, so what that means is this, that, yeah, Israel's back in the land, and the, these Jews here in America eventually will go back to Israel. That's the prediction. I will draw all of you out of the countries that you were in and bring you back home. So, at some point, there will be a tipping point in America, and the Jews will flee America, because that's it. That's the last place. And then once God has them all back, then the whole dynamic will start. Now, there's other factors that have to play into this, obviously. Um, you know, with Gog of Magog and all these other world, New World Order, digital current, all that stuff's still going on at the same time. But at the same time, Israel will be persecuted in America to get her to move back home. Because the prophecies say that she must be back in the land, all of her people, to prepare them for the judgment to come during the tribulation period. And then eventually to receive Messiah as the Lord and Savior. But they will be in the land. It ha they have to be in the land. And I know it's hard to believe and it's hard to conceive how that would happen. But look at what you've seen so far. On other topics, did you think you'd see a digital currency? They're putting it out. I'm going to show you the machines now in the next hour. Um, you, you didn't think you'd see that, but look what happened. You didn't think you'd see a new world order and get, look what they're getting ready to. So here's another dynamic. You're going to extreme, see extreme persecution. We've got a mic up here coming our way. Yep, go ahead. Where am I at? Who's, hello, hello. Hey, uh, hi. God hi. bless you. Um, I was, when you said what you said about um, Israel, uh, they couldn't see, uh, they couldn't see God because they put all so many laws around there. On the Torah. And, and in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, In whom the God of this world has hath blinded the minds of them which, not, which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. It, it The way I see that is like maybe they made those laws like God's. They can't, you know, instead of... And then I know, of course, they're talking about the Judeo-Christian era and uh, like, like Romans thought they were gods and there were so many uh, Middle Eastern influences and stuff, Eastern uh, mysticism and different things in that era, but... But the Jewish folks, like you just said, they couldn't see Jesus for Jesus as the Messiah because of their their laws and stuff. So that was like the God, the small G, the gods of this world. And I mean, yeah, and in a lot of in 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 many ways, they maybe, had a different God at that point, a God that you you could work your way to heaven, a God that gave you salvation based on your heritage. See, in the Jewish mindset, what they were taught that Gentiles are unsavable unless they proselytize. Um, which becomes a Jew, and then Jews by birth are automatically saved. And so their tradition held this, that Abraham sits at the gates of Hades, and then if any Jew accidentally goes in there, Abraham's at the gates of Hades to rescue them and will pull them out of the fire. Okay, Because they believe that heritage saved them, and then also keeping the law saved them. Well, if, you, if that's not the God of the Bible. That's a God that they created, from the fences around the Torah. So you're, you're totally on target, Jay. It's a different God. It wasn't the real Yahweh. You know what I mean? 
Just like people don't, don't worship the real Jesus. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah, I was going to ask, um, in regards to the prophecy about the Jews um, moving back to the land, would, would you say that would be more or less in ref reference to those who are practicing Judaism, or would it be necessarily uh, whether they're practicing or not? Secular. Or Secular, yeah, because, you yeah. know, a lot of the... Yeah, that's a good question, but here's here's how the prophecies roll out. Um, they don't distinguish between secular or sacred. They just said, I'm bringing all my people biologically back. Now, as an example, uh, let's go in history and use what happened in history, the programs in Russia. Sacred or secular left, didn't they? How about Hitler? If they could get out, right? Sacred and secular got out. How about Europe? They're leaving Europe because of Islam. Okay, Islam has infiltrated and, and there's been a great population shift in Europe where Islam dominates everything. Well, they're leaving it, secular or sacred, because of Islam. Now I'm waiting for who is going to be the perpetrator here in America to persecute the Jews. Can you take a guess? Obama. <laughs> There's going to be a culprit. There's going to be a group that savagely goes after the Jews here. Who could that group be? Antifa, BLM, yeah, but who do they work for? And George Soros did what in Nazi Germany? He turned in his own people. He's a Jew-hating Jew. So understand, here's one I want, I want to keep you in mind. It's the globalist leftists that will come after the Jews, but they will do it through proxy groups. Okay? They themselves won't do it, but they will pay the groups that they want to persecute the Jews. And it will happen. You might see that. Because they have to get back into the land for all that to go down. For the tribulation to go down, they have to be back in the land. So anyway, I had more questions. Yeah, right there. Okay, this is a clarification. Um, when you were in Jan Markell mm -hmm. and um, during the Q&A part, sorry, when you were on the Q&A part with Jan Markell, is that loud enough? Um, you were talking about when um, the global reset came in, that would be a sign of tribulation. Did I hear that wrong? That it's a sign of tribulation? That, that was when tribulation would start. When? The global reset started. No, 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 no. Um, I would say it's a birth pain. So it's a birth pain. Because when I read uh, Mom, he was saying that was like a birth pain. That was like a fifth birth pain or something, but I didn't know if I confused the two. No, no, yeah, yeah, that wouldn't, that doesn't start the tribulation. It's a birth pain, and so Rosemary's baby is going to be born in the tribulation, if you want to call it. Um, but so if, if the New World Order gets in place now, in our lifetimes, right, right now, that would, be, that would be considered a birth pain. We're getting closer and closer, and, um, um, we, we could possibly see it. But what starts the tribulation 
it, it, and understand, before the tribulation starts, the one world government will already be, already be in place. It'll already be functioning. And by the way, I'll make this point too. If you look at Revelation 17, it's already functioning at the 10 division stage in the tribulation. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you according to Daniel, and I read Daniel properly in Daniel chapter 7, the one world government will, will start after the two-legged phase. I believe that's when Russia is destroyed and the Western European takes over. You have a global government, but it can't sustain itself. And so then what it does, according to Daniel, if you look at Daniel's chronology, you go from a one world government then to a 10-league confederation that's global. That's what we see in the tribulation, according to Revelation 17. Now, wait a second. What does that mean? That means the global government and then its breakup happens pre-tribulational. Now, could, could we be here for that? Maybe, maybe not. We could be raptured tonight. But the longer we're here and the closer the rapture is to the tribulation, you could possibly see the global government and then a 10-league confederation globally break out right in front of your eyes before the tribulation starts, possibly. Um, I, I just don't believe the interpretation of, well, it's all going to happen um, uh, once the tribulation starts. How can it? How can it just start like that? You have to have a setup. And as you can see, you're watching the setup. You're watching the setup of the digital currency. It just doesn't happen in the tribulation. We're watching a setup. By the time Antichrist gets his hands on the, the global 10-league confederation, it's already in place. By the time the Antichrist gets control of the digital currency, it's already in place. He just takes over it. He doesn't develop it. So my point is, guys, um, just like this is a birth pain, so is the other things, like the one world government. And and I, I look, man, and like I you, you saw in the prophecy update, when you see that persecution of Jews in America went up 37% last year, it is sending a warning to you all. It's happening. It has begun. And they're going to get blamed for the ills of our society. And you watch. And the line of demarcation in the church, that'll be another line. Are you for the Jews? Are you against them? Because they're going to blame the Jews for something. I know they will. They've always done that no matter where they're dispersed in different countries. And then they have to leave. What do you think the lie is that, that they will come up about the Jews? It causes inflation, not Biden. They, they're behind the, the, they're the, they're the, they're in the star chambers making all the deals. Look, George Soros is a Jew. That means all of them are bad, apparently. I mean, they'll, they'll do, they'll think like that, right? Or something like that. What, 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 what could they use? Currency? COVID? You, I mean, here's the deal. It doesn't matter. They're going to blame them for something. And you know what? The people of this world are so stupid, they'll believe it. They won't check out facts. They won't check out evidence. They'll just believe that these people are vermin, uh, just like the Hitler people did and just like the German people did. They're the problems. that They blame the Jews on, uh, that, uh, remember, uh, for the economic ills of Germany and said so they're, they're, they're the ones that have all the stuff. And so it, it got 
people in their mindset justified to do this to the Jews? Because you think, how could people do that? Well, you dehumanize them, number one. You blame them, number two. And you've got the people, and most of the masses of people are stupid. They're, they're ignorant and dumb. I, I'm not trying to be mean, but the, the average person out here on the street, do you think they know history? Do you think they know critical thinking? No. So they believe like the White House when the White House says, I didn't cause this, Russia did. They really believe that. That's how stupid they are. Stupid is meaning fool. They're foolish. So what we, that's where I'm going with it. This, this is not over. And then when you get into the tribulation period, there's a, a, a deal being cut with the Antichrist. Obviously, he hates them to death, but he's going to pretend to be their friend. Now, think about this. The Antichrist will be more friendlier to the Jews than the church is today. Does that sound weird? If the let's let's say that we were here and let's give a hypothetical scenario because we're not going to be because we're promised to be removed before the Antichrist is revealed prior to the tribulation. The Antichrist. Let me let me let me make that clear. The Antichrist is revealed prior to the tribulation, but we are removed prior to his revealing, according to Second Thessalonians chapter two. Did you catch me on that one? He is revealed. But we're not here to see the revealing. We're promised to be raptured prior to his revealing. But why do you think he's revealed prior to the tribulation? Who's that for if the church is gone? The Jews. God's final warning to them, this guy is the Antichrist, and you're going to get ready to make a deal with him. So he, 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 it's a pre-tribulational thing for Israel, not the church, because we're promised that the restrainer is, once the restrainer is removed through the church, then... He's revealed. So you have to make sure your chronological order is in, in, correct. Okay, so then the Antichrist, think about this. He will be so supportive, he will be like you and me in regards to Israel. In regards to Israel. Now, the Antichrist might be totally woke, and I believe he will be. He'll have Babylonian ideals, Babylonian values. It's his system. It's his satanic system. Except for Israel, because he's playing a game. The satanic system wants to destroy Israel, so, so he's going to pretend he's for it. He will be a card-carrying, Israeli flag-waving individual. He will be anti-Palestinian. He will be anti-Islam. Not anti in the sense that he wants to destroy them, but he will not allow Islam to make a claim on the Temple Mount. He won't. That's He's going to say it's the Jews, and no one's going to be able to resist them when he says it. No one. Who can make war with them? Who is likened to the beast, that says, right? No one will even try to attempt to do anything against him. No Islamic country, no one will attempt to dissuade him from giving the Temple Mount to the Jews. But what is his purpose of doing that? right? It's a con job. It's a complete con job. And then his purpose of getting that temple built on Mount Zion really doesn't have to do so much with the Jews. Because that mountain is the mountain Satan said he wanted in Isaiah 14, in the five I wills. 
I will ascend on high. I will sit on the, sit on the mount of the congregation. You know where that's at? Not Mount Olympus. That's Mount Zion. He wants to sit on Mount Zion. And what does he say? I will be, I will, I will become like the one true God. And that's why Antichrist uses the temple to declare himself God. It's not about Israel. It's about his declaration as Satan's man, Satan working through him, to say, I now sit on the mount of the congregation and I declare myself to be God at this point in time. That's what it's about, at, at least for that point. So a question somewhere. Where am I at? Go for it. Whoever's next. David. David. Bill. Yeah. Bill, Brandon, I was wondering if you thought that maybe um, Satan had any idea of what was going to happen to him during the millennium, or let's put it this way, during the messianic kingdom um, in his first struggle uh, to make sure that Jesus was not recognized 2,000 years ago. Um, I, I think, here's, here's what I have to, he knows what the scriptures say, he just doesn't believe it. Because I think what you, you get to that, that point where you're unredeemable, that you're not coming back, you see what happens to sin in a human being. They go crazy, right? Well, I think Satan is the most intelligent, out of his mind creature on the planet. And I mean that with all respect, because I'm not trying to do what Peter warned about or, uh, of, you know, uh, talking bad about, uh, angels and fallen angels and demons. You're not to do that, right? But sin has made him think insane thought that he can stop this, that, it, that he can prevent this. And yeah, there's, that he hears the warnings that he's going to be thrown in the lake of fire and he's going to be uh, sentenced um, to, to uh, the pit, the buso, for a thousand years. He doesn't believe really he's going to be able to go there. Otherwise, why would he fight? He really believes he's going to win. And that's like, that's what you see on human levels, um, where people are, uh, so crazy in their thoughts. Like the whole world is collapsing around them and they say everything's fine. It's like, I, I keep remembering Saddam Hussein. You remember that? And then you had, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, something Sam, um, the reporter in, in, not son of Sam, um, <laughs> Oh, sorry, it's not Sam. The reporter got the name Baghdad Bob. Baghdad Bob. Because he was sitting there, and he says, we have the Americans on the run. We are winning the war. And behind them, they were pulling down, Americans were pulling down statues of Saddam Hussein and just blowing up the entire place. It's like, what an idiot. You don't even realize the reality behind you. And, and so that's what happens to people. They get like Baghdad Bob. And they are oblivious. So I, I think to your point, I think that's where Satan is. And to be respectful, he's the most intelligent creature on the planet. But because of sin, sin we know makes someone crazy. That, because there, there's no, when you really boil everything down about sin, you're gonna, you're going to reach a point to where it doesn't make sense. And that's the insanity of sin. Whether that's in a human or whether that's in a fallen angel, sin makes you crazy. And that's just how it rolls. And I think that's why he thinks he's still going to win. Where am I at, Brett? Bill? Uh, Pastor, I, I 
have to back up a little bit with what you said about taking down the fences the Jews were... The Torah, yeah. Uh, concerning the Torah, and Jesus confronted them, as you've rightly said, did. many times, probably on a daily basis, he was confronting them. But a scripture that stands out to me as you were talking was Jesus said to them, your traditions... That's it have made the word of God of none effect. There you go. Right? When, yeah, Bill, you're right on target. When he said your traditions, he's referring to the school of the Sophereen and the fences around the Torah. That's what he's referring to because it came through oral tradition, the fences around the Torah. But um, the fences around the Torah, well-known from rabbinic, uh, people today that they just kept building more and more fences around that. So like, I mean, the, think about this, the Sabbath. I and mean, that was a major deal in the, in the gospels. And he's debating with them several occasions on the Sabbath, right? And he will heal on the Sabbath. He'll do all kinds of things on the Sabbath to show them your traditions, your fences around the Torah that were well-intentioned, but to prevent you from violating the Sabbath. Because why was the Sabbath a big deal? Because the amount of time that they were in exile, 70 years, is the same amount of years that Israel didn't regard the Sabbath year in 490 years. That's where the numbers came from. So like, for instance, Israel, every seven years, is supposed to have a Sabbath rest of the land. Not supposed to grow anything, not supposed to do anything, just leave the land as it is. And they violated that for 490 years. Hence, God says, every Sabbath, you, every Sabbath seventh year you didn't take, I'm going to add that to your penalty, which calculates into 70 years. Okay? So once you start realizing that and, uh, and understanding that how important they realize that, oh my goodness, that's why we're 70 years. We never want to do it. And it's because of the Sabbath. So the Sabbath became an idol in their lives. But because of the fences around it, that's where, like today, if you, I mean, if you go to Israel, uh, um, it's so, it's ridiculous, the Sabbath laws. They can't push an elevator button. They can't turn on a light. That's, <laughs> that's not what God said. It simply means this, stop working, stop physical labor. That's it. That's it. That's all he said, right? He didn't say you can't turn on the light. He didn't say you can't watch a movie. He didn't say any of that. And so the Torah law, the fences around the Torah on the Sabbath are basically this. You have to sit there like this the whole day. And you can only walk like 100 feet or whatever it might be. It's ridiculous. It's like to and from the bathroom. That's it. I don't think that's what he meant. And, but, but why? It's ridiculous because it's fences around the Torah, which tried to prevent them from ever violating the Sabbath again. So that's why there's so much Sabbath controversy in the Gospels and why it's such a big deal is because of that 70 years. That's what they're trying to prevent. Okay. I have more questions. Where am I at? Richard. I got a question from the internet, and it's from Jesus is King. The question is, since the Jews have to go home prior to the tribulation starting and Babylon has to rebuild, do you think there is a few years left in gap between the rapture and the tribulation starting? Yeah, good question. I believe there is going to be a gap because of, of allowing that time. Now, what do I mean by a gap? 
Um, we're going to see some stuff. There's no doubt. I don't know how much we see, but we see it, okay? Eventually, the rapture will occur, okay? But that doesn't mean you're not going to see Gog of Magog or you, the setup of the New World Order or the digital currency. We could see all of those things, or we can see none if we get raptured tonight, okay? So I have to qualify what I say. But I'm in line with a lot of prophecy guys of the old adage, uh, of the John Walvards, the Dwight Pentecosts, uh, Frutenbaum, the old guys that, that, that taught this. Because there's so much that needs to happen, uh, there's a lot of setup, is that Walvert and all other guys had suggested that it's possible, very possible, that there, the rapture happens and then there's a gap between the rapture and the tribulation. Okay? For what? Well, for all these other things to get in place. Because here's the thing. Like Walvert said, I had Walvert for one of my classes at Liberty. They brought him in as a guest speaker. And like Walvert said, what, I, what I'm trying to echo you, to you tonight is it appears from what we can see in Revelation that everything's in place. And for everything to be in place, you can't. On day one, it's in place. On day one of the, the signing of the covenant, everything's in place at that point. There's, there's no other explanation other than a gap or a time period that has to be allowed and the church is gone for more setting up of things to eventually get to the signing of the covenant between Antichrist and, and, uh, and Israel. I, I, I think that's what will happen. And a lot of good prophecy teachers believe that there's a gap between the rapture. It's not, it, it, again, think about this. Uh, it can't be this rapture tonight, and then tomorrow it starts. So let me ask you about that, just theologically. If we were raptured tonight, and this is how the old guard used to teach it, they used to clump everything up together, and, and they didn't have their, their details down. But just logically thinking, if we get raptured tonight, how could it all start tomorrow? You get what I'm saying? We're not there yet. There's too many things that need to happen. So it doesn't, it doesn't preclude a imminent, uh, imminent rapture. It doesn't preclude it. It just means whenever we're raptured, there's more time that's going to expand. Walvard said in our class up to 10 years between the rapture and the tribulation because of the setup needed. Now they were making, saying those things in the nineties to us. We're here in 2022. Okay. So lots changed. And it may not be 10 years, it may be like three years or three and a half years or four years or two years. And that thing would get in. Because obviously the rapture would set up a whole different chaos in the world. Okay, if billions of people vanished all of a sudden. I don't even think it's going to get that high. But, um, but if a lot of the people disappeared like that, especially in Western society... It's Katie bar the door at that point in time. All chaos will erupt and they will immediately go into, you know, uh, martial law, immediately doing everything they can and they could get it in place, but it would take several years. So I, I think that's a good interpretation. I, you know, and again, these, because these are future events, we don't have all the details, but we can take our best guess. So when some, the internet asked that, that guy on the internet, Richard, that asked, well, 
it's going to take a while to get them all back. That's true. So here's the thing. Here's, here's a possible scenario. We get raptured, and then anti-Semitism starts in America or something like that. I don't know. We see the beginnings of it here now, but then it could really ramp up once we're gone, and we wouldn't see how bad it gets. But it would, because eventually I know what the prophecies say. They've all got to get back. And if God says all of them are coming back, that means all of them are coming back. He's going to pull them all. So maybe that happens after the rapture. I don't know. But I find it interesting that all over the world, anti-Semitism is increasing, and especially Jew-friendly places. And the church has already turned on the Jews. The majority of the church doesn't, is either indifferent or hostile to Israel. So like a church like us, we're like really rare because of our knowledge and understanding and support of Israel. You go to any church, ask the pastor, dare you, ask him, what is his view on Israel? He either doesn't know he's ignorant or he's hostile to it. Just doesn't care. Doesn't see the prophetic significance. But why? Infiltration into the church has done that to believers in Jesus about Israel. That's infiltration. But what I'm talking about is outwardly the persecution that's going to cause. So, crazy stuff, but um, you got to understand that, that prophetic scenario. Okay, so then at the end of the day, where am I at? Okay, go. Where am I at? Dr. Mincy. I have one question. What is your view uh, about a person who's partially Jewish or half Jewish or... Where did those people fit in? Uh-huh, good or, question. Or do you have a comment? I do have a comment on that. That's a good question. Um, God knows the degree in which someone makes it him a valid Jew. Okay, so God would know that. I mean, it's obviously in their DNA. The rabbis go by the mother, but in, in Torah law, and I mean the Mosaic law, it goes by the father. So the rabbis can completely flip that over because of, of what happened in the programs and, and through Nazi Germany, because they didn't know who the fathers were, so they went by the mother as a concession to figure that out. Well, God knows, obviously, what percentage people are Jewish and what makes them Jewish, I, and I leave that up to God. But I will say this, a, a individual that has enough Jewish in them to be Jewish according to what God's standard is, whatever the percentage that is, occupy two places spiritually. They occupy the remnant of Israel, according to Romans chapter 11, and they occupy a space in the body of Christ. So they, so Jews occupy two places. And that's where you, it, it makes sense that when you're reading the Jewish epistles, first and second Peter, Jude, James, and Hebrews, did I get all five? Yeah. Hebrews, Jude, James, 1st, 2nd, Peter, 5. Those are the five Jewish epistles that are written to the remnant of Israel. So that's why in chapter 2 of 1st Peter, he will call them a holy nation. The church is never called a holy nation, nor are we ever a holy nation. We are called out of the nations of every tribe, language, tongue, but we are not a nation. So when you get into chapter 2 of First Peter, he's going to call the remnant, who he's talking to, Jewish believers, a holy nation being built up. So what he's referring to is Paul's remnant in Romans chapter 11, if that makes sense. So I don't know if that fully answers everything, but to the degree, like God knows who, what Jews are part of what tribes, don't they? He knows that because... 
He calls 144,000 out of that group, right? From every tribe. Now, we lost the tribal records in 70 AD. The only people we really know now because of DNA research is the Levitical priesthood, which is getting prepared right now in Israel to serve at the temple. And how are they doing it? Through DNA. And remember I told you, what is the common marker they found in all these people with the last name Cohen, Levi, Levit, Levitz? Common denominator in all their DNA they found in Israel is they have one ancestor that goes back to about 1400 BC. Guess who that ancestor is? Aaron. They all have the same ancestor in their gene. It goes back to 1400 BC. Why that number? Why that name? I mean, why that year? That's in the Exodus. In that, in that period of time. Isn't that amazing? So they're trying, we know the Levitical priesthood, um, but God knows the other tribes. And so, um, God knows how to sort that out. But if a Jew is saved now, he's both the remnant of Israel that, and what did Paul say? There's a remnant according to choosing. There's always uh, a remnant in the church that has survived of Jew, believing Jews in the Messiah. Always. It'll, the church will never not have a Jewish remnant. But that Jewish remnant is the other side of the body of Christ as well. Both Jew and Gentile, right? So you gotta, that's, but that, that was a mystery. The body of Christ of being re represented by Jews and Gentiles is a mystery. The remnant of Israel has always been predicted. Always. And that's why he has to tell the believers in Rome that, hey, you're getting this a little fouled up. You're not understanding. There's always going to be a remnant. Always of believers in the Messiah. So then what happens? We go to the tribulation. Antichrist declares himself God after he's resurrected. And then goes after chapter 12 of persecuting the Jews to wipe every Jew off the face of the planet. And here's his last gasp. Because if he can't get this accomplished, he can't prevent the second coming. See, they play by rules in the spiritual realm. And what Satan is trying to do is use God's word against him. How so? He said, Messiah said, you shall not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, right? So if he can wipe every Jew on the planet out, there's no one to call on him. And hence, God can't fulfill a promise. And hence, he can take that before God and said, you're a liar. You declare me a liar. I declare you a liar because you made a promise and you didn't keep it. You said you would preserve Israel and I wiped them out and you didn't. And then you said your son would come when they called him. There's no one to call on him. You're a liar. You see what Satan's trying to accomplish through all this? And why does he want to do that to God? So he can get off on a technicality. That's how the game's being played. And he knows he cannot allow any Jew to survive because Jesus will then set up his kingdom. And he understands that completely. And he understands that, uh, that that's not what he wants, obviously. He wants his own man on there. So the tribulation really is a counterfeit of the kingdom, just using Antichrist as the son of God and the false prophet as uh, the Holy Spirit and Satan as the father. And what? It, so if he controls the globe, what is that called? It's a messianic analogy. I control the whole globe. God, uh, Christ's kingdom will control the entire globe, won't it? Same thing. 
Christ will control the buying and selling in the kingdom, by the way, according to Isaiah. Christ, Christ will be in charge of the economics of the messianic kingdom, but he'll be righteous, holy, and just, right? Everything will go great. But see, notice how the Antichrist wants to control the buying and selling. It's a counterfeit to the messianic kingdom. Everything's a counterfeit at that point. Okay, any more questions so far? Go back, go back. Gabriel, where am I? Or somebody up here? Where am I, where am I at? Um, okay. These guys with the mics got to run to you. Waiting for it. Okay. So I don't, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but a couple of weeks ago I asked you a question, right? That what? A couple of weeks ago I asked you a question, and, and I, I need to have a better understanding. And so I'm going to try to clarify a little bit better tonight what my question is. Okay. Okay. And so we know that the false prophet, I, I believe, he paves the path for the Antichrist. Is that correct? The Bible sure. tells us that he paves the path for him, correct? Yeah. Okay. And so then we also know that he's given the power to call down lightning from the sky, correct? Fire. Fire, right? Yes. With, with those things being said and knowing that when Israel is surrounded by her enemies, that God calls down fire from the sky to protect her, kills all her enemies, correct? In the future or in the past? In the future. Does she, talking about Gog of Mag uh, I'm talking, Yeah, I'm talking about Gog of Magog. I'm talking about a war that happens that God protects Israel from yes. her enemies yeah. by calling Gog lightning down from the sky. Okay, gotcha. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so with that being said and knowing that the Bible talks of a great deception, which some people will say that it, it's, a, you know, demons masquerading themselves as aliens. Some people say, hey, the great deception is the Antichrist. I mean, the great deception could be many things all put together as one thing, correct? That could yeah, happen. Absolutely. Okay. Multiple. Right. And so Israel falls for the Antichrist because, like you're saying, they believe that he's a friend to them. That, right. He's that, their best buddy. Yes. And he's going to protect them. Yes. And so once again, using your word, counterfeit, um, how do we know that there's not a counterfeit Gog and Magog war in which... The false prophet calls down fire from the sky, destroying their enemies, and they become part of that deception, believing that this is their Messiah. Is that possible? No, I, I get the sign, lying signs and wonders. I, I think the conflation with Gog of Magog is another ballgame. Okay? So you're, you're right in one sense. The false prophet is doing miracles like unto Elijah. Being able to call down fire from heaven, that's Elijah. But Elijah's on the earth already. The return of Elijah, according to the, the Italian prophet, Malachi, he comes prior to the tribulation as well. Right? And, and what is, and so Elijah's on the ground. Well, if Elijah's on the ground, you have, uh, what's that? Possibly. He could possibly be one of them, possibly, or may not be. It could be Moses and Enoch, and you, you know what I'm saying? And then it could be Elijah as a third, but uh, or he could be one of them, Moses and Elijah. Either way, you just interchange them. But we definitely know Elijah's coming back, okay? Well, if he's doing Elijah miracles, and the one of the two witnesses has the ability to call down fire for heaven, so that's why a good uh, theory is that Elijah's one of the two witnesses, because and then blood turned to water, that's Moses. Um, he, you could almost imagine the, the false prophets saying, what's the big deal? I can do that right now too. Boom. It's back to the magicians in Pharaoh's court that could duplicate some of the miracles of Moses, right? 
So you have that. But as far as a, a copycat Magog of Magog, I don't see that because you have, number one, you don't have any scriptures for that. Um, um, but number two, you have a, a, a too much definitive uh, declaration that's a seven-year cleanup of the weapons. And then when you get to Revelation 20, after the end of the millennium, there's an attack on Christ again. And John uses a um, drosh uh, for a pardes. A pardes is a Jewish interpretive prophecy. And so there's a drosh, there's a remez, there's a uh, um, drosh, remez, hishat, and uh, sod. Thank you, sod. It's sod. S-O-D. I was thinking something else. So those are the four Jewish ways of interpreting. So John in Revelation 20 uses a drosh. I yeah, yeah, drosh. A literal plus application in referring to Gog of Magog. Just if you want to see another example of this was in Acts chapter 2 when Peter declares this is Joel. Okay? But the problem is if you read Joel, Joel's in the tribulation. And talks about the re, the regeneration of Israel, how their their old men will dream dreams, young men will have visions, and all that stuff. But it was happening at Pentecost. So it, uh, Peter uses a drosh, a literal plus application, and says the last days look like this. This is similar to the last days. It's a literal thing that's happening, but it applies and refers back to something else that will happen. So when you look at Gog of Magog in Revelation 20, it's a drosh. A literal plus application means that I'm going to name it Gog of Magog, but it's not identical. There, uh, There is similarities to what happened that are happening now. The similarities, they're attacking Israel, they're attacking the Messiah, and, and fire comes down and destroys them. That's the similarities. But the rest of the details are not. So that's what we call a drosh, a literal plus application. And that, that is that is how the Jews interpret prophecy. Uh, and so I would say that, Dennis, um, as far as Gog of Magog, if that makes sense. Did that help you? I hope so. I hope it didn't mess, mess the waters up for you, man. John, go ahead. I have three questions, but I think they'll be real easy for you to answer. Um, the first one is, um, <laughs> is as far as you know, the Old Testament where the Jews believed that Abraham was at the gates of hell and going to keep them from going in, Tradition, most yeah. of the Jews today are secular. So do they still believe that or that Abraham is going to keep them from going into No, I, I don't know if they believe that. That was a first century uh, thought. Okay. And then my, and my second question is with, um, you know, the Jews are God's chosen people, and we are supposed to defend them, of course. And uh, I, and as far as people like George Soros or some of these other Jews that are very, very evil, you know, Sergey Page, Larry Brand, the head of Google. Sure. Um, I, tell me if this is the best way to explain this to people, that you have to, even though the Jews are God's chosen people and we're supposed to protect them as best we can, you have to judge the Jews based on their merits, just like anybody else. Some of the Jews are very evil, like George Soros. He's killing his own people. I mean, is that is that a good way to explain that to people? Yeah, uh, and I would explain it the same way in Gentiles too. There's good Gentiles and there's bad Gentiles. Exactly. You've got to evaluate everybody, regardless of skin color, regardless of, regardless of gender, on their merits. Yeah, their merits, their morals, their values. Yes. Exactly. And then the third question um, is quite easy too. 
um, that was fascinating about how they can track everybody, the people that were priests, all the way back to the 1400 BC using, you know, DNA. How did they get, do you know, you might not know, the, all the way back to 1400 BC and figure out what they're... I don't know. I read, I read an article of a doctor that helped Israel do this. And the doctors in Israel and through DNA research, and I don't know all the ins and outs of it, they were able to trace a DNA marker all the way back to the uh, 1400 BC. I, I can't explain it medically or how they did it because I, you know, but it's a Jewish doctor of genetics and that whole genetic research in Israel was able to find this out. That's why they're, they're able to do the, uh, the priests, uh, training the priests. They check them for that DNA marker. And every one of them has that marker in them. It's pretty amazing. But you think about that, how important that would be to know who the Levitical priest, because we know there's a third temple going to be built, and it's going to have sacrifices and offerings. So we're in the time frame where DNA now can reveal that, even though we lost all the Jewish records. Pretty amazing, huh? Okay, where am I at? Never mind. No, never mind. Right there. Yes, sir. Hey, Pastor. Um, I want to go to Revelation 3 9, so yep. we could break that down. Because uh, we preach on the streets and we engage with a lot of um, Hebrew Israelites. Uh, oh, yeah. What a cult. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. They're awful. Mm. So, uh. Um, it's replacement theology, too, by the way. Yeah. They hold. Uh, Revelation 3 9. Revelation 3, 9. That's right before the rapture uh, verse. Yeah. Uh, ha, ha, ha. Let's break it down. My name, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet uh, to know that I, I have loved you. Ah, great passage. So what's happening there, you gotta, you got to interpret Revelation, the, the chapters 2 and 3, in three different ways. I know this sounds crazy, but because of the promises and the things in chapters 2 and 3, there are local 95 AD aspects that you have to pay attention to. Then the third understand, sorry, second understanding is that the seven churches will always exist at all times. There will always be Laodiceans, there are always going to be Philadelphia, and then the third way to interpret the two, the, the seven churches, is that they represent eras chronologically. Okay, so you have to know because each verse will change when you read it. Some will refer like Antipas, uh, in as far as Smyrna is concerned, he that's a 95 A.D. application because Antipas lived in 95 A.D. and was martyred. But then he'll say some of you will. Um, you know, the, the believers in Philadelphia will be kept from the tribulation. That's the Philadelphia element. And then the passage he's referring to has to do with the great white throne judgment. Okay. And what is it? Well, let's talk about 95 AD, what was happening. In 95 AD, what was happening to Philadelphia, it was, the church was primarily Jewish, understand. Okay. Very few Gentiles at this point. They, the Jewish believers in the church were getting persecuted from other Jewish unbelievers from the synagogue in this area. So uh, the early persecution was Jew on Jew. Okay. 
unbelieving Jews on believing Jews. And that's primarily where that reference is coming. They are a synagogue of Satan is what that reference is to, that these unbelieving Jews who are persecuting the other Jews are nothing but a synagogue of Satan and uh, who say they they are Jews and are not. Now, Paul explained what that means in uh, Romans chapter 9. Not all of Israel is Israel. Remember he said that phrase in, in Romans 9? Not all of Israel is Israel. And that's where John's going with it. Or sorry, Messiah's going with it and saying, look, you, the remnant of Israel is the spiritual Jews. And that's what's being referenced here. Okay. Now let's move back to a different interpretation because he goes further than 95 AD. He says, where's my glasses at? Good night, nurse. Thought I could see it. So here, so here's the promise though, but the promise goes beyond 95 AD. The promise goes to every believer. And the promise goes, um, indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet to know that I have loved you. Now, what's that about? Well, that's a promise to the universal church, that all believers. And so, therefore, I can interpret that passage in 95 AD, but then I have to stand back and say, wait a second, I need to interpret that passage in a more general sense. And what is the general sense? It's this. Instead of understanding the Jews are God's chosen people, Right? And that became the moniker of, because that's what God said about them. But then it, 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 God says, no, it's the remnant of Israel that is my people, the Ami. It's the remnant. And that's why Paul says not all Israel is Israel. Okay, so when you go past that time, what starts happening is you start having forms of replacement theology. Replacement theology is people, Gentiles, who think they're the new Israel. Okay? Then the Catholic Church believes that. The Seventh-day Adventists believe that. The Jehovah Witnesses believe they're the new Israel. The Mormons believe they're the new Israel. And every cult <laughs> believes they're the new Israel. Every one of them. They will, will have what we call supersessionism, and basically that's replacement theology. So then, when the Jehovah Witnesses say they're the new Israel, and they're the 144,000, yada, yada, they are who that passage is talking about. Because at one point, they're lost. They're a cult. They don't believe in the real Jesus. At one point, at the great white throne judgment, and notice I'm referencing the great white throne judgment, because who goes there? Unbelievers. This is not at the Bema seat. Okay, this is at the, the, the great white throne. And, and they will be kneeling in front of him, all the cults, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, Catholics that didn't get saved because they believed in all this junk and said that you and I were not the people of God who persecuted us and called us a cult, called us unbelievers, called that we didn't really believe in the one true God, all of the Mormons, the Catholics, and all that stuff. Catholics have us under a curse. You understand that, right? That we're cursed to hell for believing in justification by faith alone. One day at the great white throne judgment, all those people that said that about you and I will be on their knees in front of Messiah and he's going to force it out of their mouth that he is Lord and he's the one true and that we were right. That we were the ones right. We, we didn't, uh, we weren't the ones that were cults. They were. And so this, this, this promise then goes universally to all believers who have ever been persecuted 
persecuted by other religions who called themselves the people of God. Now, what other religion calls themselves the people of God? Islam calls themselves the people of God. It's talking about all false religions at that point that persecute true Bible-believing Christians. And by the way, what's the number one religion that persecutes true Bible-believing Christians? Islam, at 80-something percent, 85%, I think it is, the last time I looked. 85% of persecution happening in this world comes from Islamic. So one day, the Islamics will be on their knee in front of Jesus before they're thrown into hell, and they will admit we were the people of God. Now, remember, God has two peoples, the Jews and then the Gentiles. Save Jews, save Gentiles. And they will do that to the Jews that are there, that are believing Jews, and they will do it to the Gentiles. And they will have to confess that we were right and they're wrong. And then they're cast into the lake of fire. Now, that promise should give you the ability to handle persecution. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Bible Study Podcast. We hope that this lesson is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has another podcast called Anchor Sunday Sermons, and it's filled with past and present messages in Revelation, Genesis, and Exodus. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for the Anchor Sunday Sermons. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up, for our redemption draws nearer.